I'm Aubrey Henderson. I'm a recovering people pleaser turned self-worth coach, here to help you befriend your inner critic, break up with people pleasing, and reconnect with your desire. Every week, I share my answers to your questions, live coaching sessions, interviews, and more to help you reconnect with your self-worth. Have you ever felt stuck in your life and just needed a really fucking good pep talk? Well, babe, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Ask Aubrey. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, babes. Welcome to this week's episode. I am really excited to continue our series on the shit that is simply not your job. And so if you haven't been here the last few weeks, we are right in the middle of a series inspired by the idea that there are things in life that we are often socialized to believe or made to believe are our responsibility or our things to carry, our burdens to bear, when actually they're not. They're not your job. And so um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how it's not your job to prove that you are worthy. Uh, Last week, we talked about how it's not your job to fix or heal other people. And this week, we are going to talk about the fact that, and I really believe this, it is not your job to keep other people comfortable. It is not your job to keep other people comfortable. And this is a hard one for a lot of people. This has been a hard one for me to, you know, unlearn in my own life, to, you know, kind of deprogram within myself. And this has been something that I really struggle with. And anybody who, you know, would self-identify as a people pleaser, which I know is a lot of folks who listen to this podcast, um, will likely relate to this, right? It's a lot of the impulse behind people-pleasing is this desire to make sure that the people around us at all times are comfortable, to make sure that we, you know, have harmony in our environment. I know I talk a lot um, to the Enneagram 2s out there um, in my audience because I know there are a lot of us. I'm a 2 myself. Um, But probably the second most represented Enneagram number um, in my community is nine. And we talk about this idea of wanting to maintain a sense of harmony and peace. Um, That is something that is very characteristic of a nine. And so I know my Enneagram nines who are listening, um, including the one I am married to, can likely relate to this. But this, you know, sense that it's really important that other people are comfortable. And, you know, as with everything, I don't say this, (laughs) I don't say this to say that, you know, human comfort and safety and all of those things are not important, right? There are going to be moments where, yeah, we want the people we care about to feel comfortable, especially as it relates to, you know, them feeling safe and okay and all of that. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is, you know, moving through the world really hyper-focused on how other people are doing in a given situation, often at the expense of yourself, your own needs, your own interests, your own desires and dreams, right? And so, yeah, this is a hard one to unlearn when this is the way you move through the world. This can often be like a really deeply ingrained pattern. And, you know, when you've been socialized with this expectation all of your life that, you know, you're going to keep the people around you happy, this is especially true if you're a woman, 
this kind of idea that, yeah, you want to make the people around you happy. You want to take care of them. And we start to feel like that is our sole responsibility, that we're sort of carrying that burden on our shoulders. And we see this as kind of our our sole function or our primary role, whether we're super conscious of that or not, right? And as with many adult patterns and behaviors and things that are true of us, you know, when we're grownups, these are things where we can see the threads of this leading all the way back to our early life, right? Often all the way back to our childhood. And it can look a lot of ways. So I'm not going to say, you know, if you want to keep other people comfortable, then you definitely had this happen to you in childhood. But, you know, just to give some examples of where this can come from, you know, maybe you are a child who was parentified. That's something that I personally would identify with. So basically what that means is that you, you know, had to step into more responsibility when you were young than was maybe appropriate for a child your age. And so, you know, from the very early age, you were given this this role and this job of keeping things together, keeping harmony in your home, making sure that everyone was okay, and kind of stepping into that role from an early age and being socialized to believe that's your inherent role, right? Or it could be that you just grew up in or have have been in, whether it's in childhood and early life or different points throughout your life, you might have been in a really chaotic environment, right? Where there was always a lot going on and, you know, lots of people with lots of different needs or, you know, always something going wrong that needed attending to, right? Or, you know, maybe there was a figure in your family, maybe a parent, maybe a sibling, someone who was emotionally volatile or unpredictable, right? And keeping that person happy was a survival mechanism. These are all ways that this can, you know, you see how this can then lead to in adulthood. We've learned very early on that there is there is value and there is a function to keeping other people comfortable and, you know, keeping this sense of harmony and keeping other people happy, right? And that it's adaptive in that way. And so, you know, especially when we learn this at an early age or when we're, you know, sort of kind of developing as adults. So if you're learning this as a child or if this is true for you as a teenager, when you're kind of like a young adult coming into your own, these things can become so sort of routine and part of who you are. They can be so automatic that they actually sort of just kind of hum in the background. And so what I mean by that is like, And I'll speak from my own experience here as somebody who has really struggled with this, with this idea that like keeping keeping everyone around me comfortable was priority one, is that I was constantly aware, and it's still true to some extent, there is this constant awareness that I carry where I am sort of hypervigilant and on high alert for the people's emotions around me, right? For kind of the emotional state or the comfort or, you know, the perceived, you know, happiness or feeling good of the people around me and wanting to make sure that, you know, everyone's, is everyone doing okay? Let me like check everyone's facial expressions. And again, this isn't a necessarily a conscious thought. This is just something I'm sort of automatically kind of doing a scan all the time. And this is something where people will say like, oh, I'm I'm an empath. And so I step into a room and I, you know, I feel the feelings of other people and I think to some extent that's that's a real thing. I agree. Like I I think it's that's certainly 
a trait. It's one that I identify with. But I also think that that is learned pattern behavior where we are actually have learned to be hypervigilant and to read cues and to do so with such automaticity that it feels like, oh, I have this superpower when really you've just learned really, really well how to quickly read people for survival, right? And what's happening is that you are kind of constantly doing this scan so you can quickly identify, okay, who's the person that I need to be attending to right now? Whose emotions need to be addressed? Who needs to be soothed in this room, right? And we see how that's an adaptive skill, especially if you're somebody who, you know, like I said, has been in a chaotic environment where there's a lot going on, where there's maybe some unpredictability in the people around you. And so you need to be on high alert for that. But in a lot of scenarios, we don't actually need that. And it actually begins to harm us. In a lot of scenarios, what happens is we don't actually need to be as on, you know, as hypervigilant as we think, and you're on as high of alert as we think that we do to attending to other people's emotions, because what happens is that we get so overfocused on other people that we lose track of what we are feeling in the moment or, you know, what we want to be paying attention to or what we need or what we want. And so, and if this sounds familiar, it's because it's one of these very basic principles of what happens when you are a people pleaser in general, is that you're over-focused on the needs of others, on the desires of others, and you lose track of what it is that you want, what it is that you need. And so, you know, that's, that's where the struggle, the burnout, the exhaustion of a people pleaser comes in. This is a perfect example of that. This is a great illustration. And so the way this actually looks is, you know, just to give some more examples, is like if you're somebody, for example, who, you know, in a group setting, there will be a, um, like an awkward silence that happens. And this is, I'm laughing because I know a couple of people um, in various groups that I'm a part of who, who always do this. When like somebody throws out a discussion question to the group and no one answers, and I... <laughs> There are always kind of like the first people that I know will jump in and often will say, I hate awkward silence, so I'm just going to jump in and and answer the question, even if they don't necessarily want to answer the question, even if they don't necessarily feel like they have something that they want to share or contribute with the group, they'll jump in anyway. Um, That's an example of it, right? Because there's kind of the perceived discomfort of the group and you know, wanting to jump in and fix that and be the one to do it when there are actually several other people who could do the same if we gave them the chance to do it, right? You know, this could look like being in kind of a conflict or an argument with somebody and sort of giving up on or letting go of a thing that you're upset about and that you you need to have acknowledged by the other person, right? You're bringing it up because you're you're asking for either acknowledgement or an apology or something, but giving up on that or letting go of it when you're still upset about it simply because, you know, you don't want to continue the argument or you don't want to start an argument in the first place. You know that the other person's going to get upset if you express your needs and that you're upset or, you know, it's going to start a conflict. So you just completely let go of what it is that you need, even if it's really important to you and just, you know, would rather not even have the conversation at all. 
It could look like, you know, avoiding a big life change or, you know, something that you want to pursue or something new that you want to try because you're worried about, you know, what someone else is going to do or say or think about you in response, right? So instead of taking a leap that you want to take or doing something you're excited about or trying a new thing that sounds really fun or really exciting to you, but being afraid of what someone else is going to think or that someone else is going to make fun of you or someone else is going to, you know, be embarrassed of you or not think it's cool what you're going to do. So you're just not going to do it. You just would rather let it go. And, you know, another thing, and this is something I talk to my clients about all the time. It's something that I, you know, personally have struggled with myself as well is basically doing anything to avoid the feeling of someone being mad at you. And this is something that like, I say this and it sounds very like, I immediately go back to like a high school experience of, oh my God, my friend is mad at me. You're like, we're in a fight or, you know, something like that. But it's very much, it's very much something I've carried into adulthood and that, you know, a lot of, I mean, a lot of my friends across many <laughs> different kind of age groups and demographics kind of experience, right, is this this idea of, oh my God, I don't want this person to be mad at me. Being unable to sit with that discomfort or that feeling of someone is mad at me or like I'm, you know, um, I'm like not there, there's something I've done wrong or I'm like in someone's bad books or, you know, whatever terminology you want to use. But it's it's not being able to tolerate or sit with that feeling, right? So then what will happen is you'll do anything to avoid that person getting mad at you in the first place. So that could be not bringing up something that's bothering you or a boundary that was violated or something someone did that was hurtful or something someone said that bothered you. Not even bringing it up in the first place because you don't want them to be mad at you or not making choices that you think will piss them off, even if it's the right choice for you and is a totally reasonable choice to make. So it's avoiding getting them mad at you in the first place. But then if somebody is mad at you, it's basically doing the scramble to kind of do anything you have to do to get them unmad at you. And I know I know there are people listening to this like, oh shit, this is me. Um, and you might be nodding your head along as you listen right now, like, oh shit, this is me. But you know that you know that experience of, you know, someone's mad at you, someone's upset, and you just you just want to make it better. You just want to skip through the uncomfortable portion of this experience where they're pissed at you and you want to skip to the part where they forgive you and it's all better because then all feels right in the world, right? And so it can look a lot of different ways, but basically the core tenet of this, right, is this idea that somebody else being comfortable, being happy with me, me being on good terms with them is more important than what I need, is more important than what I want or what I'm excited about or how I feel in a given scenario. Keeping someone else comfortable is more important. And we, we internalize that feeling because we are taught to believe that keeping other people comfortable is our responsibility. And again, this is likely even more true if you're a woman, but that's not to say if you don't identify as a woman that it can't be true for you as well. And so we take this on and the first thing that we forfeit 
is our own needs and our own preferences and our own feelings because we are taught that other people's feelings are more important. And that's the selfless thing to do is to keep other people comfortable at all costs. And in addition to, you know, we can talk all day about, you know, why this is painful, why this is not sustainable, and why it's not your job. And of course, it's painful because you are doing this thing of, you know, that we talk about all the time here, which is self-rejection, right? You're saying, what I need isn't as important right now. That's not priority. I would rather get someone else's approval than maintain my authenticity. It's choosing approval over authenticity when really what I'm always encouraging is, is the flip of that, authenticity over approval. But it's choosing someone else's approval over your authenticity. It's forfeiting what you need, what you want for somebody else. So of course there's going to be pain in that self-rejection. It also means you're constantly putting yourself in situations where you're not getting your needs met. So of course that is going to breed frustration, resentment, hurt, even though you know, you're know you not asking other people to meet your needs and you're keeping other people comfortable. So, you know, why would they necessarily question that? But at the same time, we often can't help but feel resentful that nobody's seeing that as it happens, right? And this is, again, going back to the classic Enneagram 2 of, you know, I'm meeting everyone's needs and keeping everyone else happy. Why can't somebody see through that and look out for me, right? Um, kind of the, the struggle of the people pleaser, right? Who is going to please the people pleaser? But what's also true about this is that it is exhausting. When we talk about this idea that we are living with this automatic orientation toward everybody else's emotions and kind of emotional state and level of comfort in a given situation and we're hyper attuned to what everyone around us needs all the time, that's fucking exhausting. That's going to drain all of your energy just having to do that. It's like it's like if you have a cell phone that's running, you know, two dozen apps in the background all the time, the battery is going to drain immediately. Ask Aubrey is supported by Eliza and Wild. Eliza and Wild creates all-natural, high-potency CBD products designed to give you targeted, everyday self-care inside and out. Their ingestible and topical CBD products are consciously designed with all-natural and intentionally sourced ingredients and fully recyclable packaging. So it's good for you and for the earth. And y'all, Eliza and Wild literally does not have a single product that I don't love. I have them all and everything smells and tastes incredible and is made with ingredients that I can feel good about putting on and in my body. I take the CBD and MCT oil drops daily and they help me to really keep my anxiety and my tension under control. And they also have a line of amazing CBD topical products, including this lip balm that I am truly obsessed with. And like, did you know that CBD actually has anti-inflammatory properties when you apply it directly to your skin? Because I didn't until I started to use this lip balm and it is changing my life. And also it smells amazing, which we all know is really important. And I know that you're going to love these products just as much as I do. So when you grab yours at ElizaAndWild.com, you can use the promo code Aubrey15 at checkout for 15% off your order. 
That's elizaandwild.com, E-L-I-Z-A-A-N-D-W-Y-L-D.com. And make sure to use code Aubrey15, that's A-U-B-R-E-E-1-5, for 15% off. Okay, so now that we've established that keeping other people comfortable is definitely not your job, I want to share some practices with you that I believe will help you if you struggle with this or if this is a habit in your life that you are looking to change. And before I even go into this list, I want to say that I call these things practices for a reason. These are not things that I'm about to say that are like, great, this is an easy fix and you know, you're going to do this and tomorrow you are going to be able to just confidently <laughs> choose your authenticity over their approval and you know you're not ever going to worry about whether someone else is comfortable or happy and it's it's all going to be solved not what i'm saying and you may have been under no illusion that that was what i was saying but i i just want to make that clear that the things i'm about to share are going to sound challenging likely especially if you're early in this journey and that's okay they are practices which is why we we try them over and over and they start to feel easier over time i promise And so practice number one is sitting in the discomfort, right? Which is funny because we're talking about keeping other people comfortable. Um, But in a way, focusing on keeping other people comfortable is often what's more comfortable for us to do because the idea of asserting what we need or focusing on what we want is scary, right? And is uncomfortable. So I'm asking you to sit in that discomfort, right? And that means... Recognizing that doing what you need to do for you is sometimes going to mean that someone's not happy with you, that somebody doesn't approve of your choices, somebody is not comfortable with your choices or or with the boundaries that you've set with them or whatever it may be. And that is going to feel really uncomfortable. If you're the person I was describing earlier who is like me and who really struggles with the idea that somebody could be mad at them or upset with them, I'm asking you to sit with that discomfort. And, you know, at first it might just be the discomfort of thinking about, you know, what if I, what if I decided to pursue this thing even though I know that my mom doesn't approve of it? Or, you know, what if I, you know, told my partner that I you know, really find it hurtful when they say X, Y, Z thing, even though I know it's going to make them mad and annoyed at me. Just thinking about that scenario, just imagining that can be dis- can be uncomfortable and can cause discomfort. And so maybe at first it's just allowing yourself to sit in the discomfort of imagining the possibility. Maybe it's not jumping right in. But eventually that practice allows us to, you know, tolerate eventually the discomfort of actually having that conversation and possibly having somebody be upset with us, be uncomfortable, feeling the discomfort of that because all we want to do is fix it and make it better and recognizing that that's not our responsibility. And so we need to sit in that discomfort. We need to understand that, you know, if we are making our own choices from a kind place, right? Not, you know, not making choices that are unkind or harming other people of course but if you're making your choices from a kind place that is centered in what you need and what you want 
then somebody else can survive being upset with you. And you will survive them being upset with you too. So it's practicing sitting in that discomfort, maybe gradually at first, right? Starting with just the thought experiment of what if I had this conversation? Play it out in your mind without shutting it down. Without immediately saying, no, I could never do that. Play that out and practice that. And over time, building up that tolerance for that discomfort to be able to actually have the conversation or do the thing, take the leap. Practice number two is really, I want you to name the moments when you feel responsible for someone else's comfort, right? And that can look a lot of different ways, but recognizing when you feel that. And first, it's just not, it's not even naming yet initially. It's recognizing it. It's being able to say, oh, in this moment, I really want to, you know, send 10 texts to this person until they respond to me because I... I'm really worried that they're upset and I want to just really, you know, get them to respond and make sure that they're okay. And noticing, oh, like, what is that about? What is my end goal there? Oh, it's to, you know, it's to make sure they're okay. It's to, you know, take responsibility for their feelings. It's recognizing, oh, I am in this group setting and no one is talking and I feel like I want to step in and kind of guide the conversation. Where is that desire coming from? Is it coming from a need to make other people feel comfortable right now? Or is it coming from a place of me wanting to, you know, share something that interesting that happened to me yesterday? Or is it, you know, noticing where it's coming from and really asking those questions and then being able to recognize when that comes up, oh, yeah, I'm really worried about, you know, what this person is going to think right now or whether this person is okay with what I'm about to do or, you know, how this person feels about me. I'm really preoccupied with that right now. And being able to name that. So recognizing it and being able to name and acknowledge it is such an important practice. It's being able to just even notice when that comes up for you. And if you're listening to this, then chances are you recognize that it's a phenomenon in your life, but you may not be recognizing it in real time. So it's increasing your ability to notice that in real time and then actually naming it. So whether it's having the thought to yourself, but the very intentional thought of, oh, I'm noticing that I'm doing this. I find it helpful to say out loud. Um, as you all know, I often talk to myself. I also have like two or three like very, very close people who basically know my brain inside and out and I can tell anything to. And so... Those are also people who I will say things like, hey, I'm noticing that I'm really, you know, preoccupied with how you are feeling about this so much so that I'm out of my own experience. And that can be really helpful if you're super comfortable with somebody. Or you can just say it to yourself. You could write it down in a journal. Any way that you can practice that recognition is really important and that naming because that is going to help you be able to feel when that's coming up for you. And choose differently, right? Notice when your behavior is being influenced by that and starting to choose differently. And the final practice is really remembering this truth that is challenging, but it's real, which is that you are your own responsibility. I'll say that again. You are your own responsibility, And so when you prioritize other people's comfort over your own needs, 
what you are doing is you are abandoning that responsibility to yourself, right? It's a form like we've talked about of self-rejection. And so when we believe that we are our own responsibility, that I have a responsibility to myself in a given scenario to understand and advocate for my own needs and make choices from a place of acknowledgement of what I need and what I want in that situation. And of course, respecting other people's boundaries, respecting other people's safety and humanity, all of those things. Absolutely. But that if I recognize my responsibilities to myself, what we can also do is we can trust that a lot of the time other people can advocate for themselves too right? They can ask for what they need. They don't necessarily need us to do it for them. And you can do that for yourself, right? And so it's internalizing this belief that that you are your own responsibility. And that can even be a mantra for you. If that's something that you're hearing that and you're like, holy shit, that's not how I would ever think about, you know, myself and my, you know, my own commitment to myself, then that could become something that is a mantra for you. I am my own responsibility. But that's just something to really internalize. And that really is what flows through all of this, that you have a responsibility to yourself, right? So to recap, you're going to practice three things. You're going to practice sitting in the discomfort, Okay, you can survive someone being mad at you. You can survive somebody being uncomfortable or judging a choice that you've made, you can survive it. And so practice sitting in that discomfort. Number two, you're going to practice recognizing and naming when that responsibility for someone else's comfort is coming up for you, when that feeling bubbles up, when you are making choices out of a place where you're prioritizing other people's comfort over your own needs and naming that, actually naming it either out loud, writing it down, saying it to someone else, whatever works for you. And then number three, you are going to remember that you are your own responsibility. That abandoning yourself to keep someone else comfortable isn't as noble or selfless of an act as you might think that it is. And remember, this is a journey, right? This is something that can be a years-long, even lifelong process. And this is all about growing and evolving. And that's okay, right? This is not something that is going to just, you know, be resolved overnight. And that's fine. We have to give ourselves grace and think of this as a practice. But also it is it is doable. It is achievable. This is something that if you, this is a habit of yours, if this is a pattern, this is not something that you're you're doomed to do forever, right? And making changes in your in your behaviors in kind of the way that you that you think about this and your mindset is doable. And so, you know, if you're listening to this episode and you've kind of like really nodded along with this and are like, holy shit, this is me. If you're someone who really struggles with people pleasing, I would first encourage you to go back and check out episodes 40, 41, 42, and 43, which are a four-part mini-series all about people pleasing. So that really kind of gets to basics about, you know, what people pleasing is, how it shows up, where it comes from, and, you know, ways that you can begin to kind of combat that. But, you know, also I would say if you are ready to dig deep on this and do some self-reflection and, you know, really kick some of these habits, 
I do offer one-on-one coaching to folks who are looking to break up with people pleasing for good, who are ready to, you know, transform their mindset around this, transform their relationships and the way they communicate, the way that they show up. And so, you know, if this is something that resonates with you, if you are ready to make some changes in your life, I would love, love to work with you. So if that sounds exciting to you, I would really encourage you to check out my website. That's aubreyhenderson.com where you can learn more. I hope that you have an amazing rest of your week and I will see you back here next week for our last episode in this series. One final thing that is not your job. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you loved it, please take a second to subscribe on your favorite platform, leave a rating or a review, and take a screenshot and share it on social media or with a friend who needs to hear a message like this one. I love the chance to hear from you and connect with you because it gives me the opportunity to remind you that you are worthy, worthy of wholeness and happiness and just good things. So send me the question or the topic that's keeping you up at night or that you just want to hear more about. You can send me a voice memo at anchor.fm slash Aubrey Henderson. And I can actually include any voice memos that you send me in the show, which I think is pretty rad. Or you can send a good old fashioned written message from my website at aubreyhenderson.com. I'll see you next time, babes.